starting a brand new series today um, where we're just going to talk for the next month or so um, a little bit about, well, just to kind of transition from that, uh, why the staff loves working at this church, who we are as a church, um, where we believe we're going as a church, where we kind of think um, Jesus is leading us as a church. If you're a guest with us today, if you're joining us online because somebody said, hey, you should check this out, um, you're going to feel a little bit like you got invited over to somebody's house and they started talking about family business around the dinner table while you're eating your mashed potatoes. Like, should I be hearing this? We're perfectly fine with you hearing this. We'd love that you hear some of this thing because you'll get to hear a little bit of the heartbeat um, of who we are as, as a church, and we love who we are as a church. We love where Jesus is taking us and how he's uh, moving us, and so we love that you're at the table for this conversation. Um, and the, the series is called Kaleo, uh, which is the Greek word for called or invited or, or summoned. We, we use this language a lot um, when it comes to, you know, it's kind of uh, pastors and missionaries are called into full-time ministry service or, or anybody who's called into full-time ministry service. But, but when you, there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unbiblical about that. But when you read the New Testament, you start to see that actually every follower of Jesus is called to certain things, not just pastors and missionaries. There's a specific call. There's a specific invitation to those individuals. But as followers of Jesus, we've all been called to some things. Jesus called his original disciples to follow him, right? Um, we're told that Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Um, we're, we're, we're told in you know, multiple parables where Jesus uses this language of inviting people to a banquet or to a feast. And that banquet, that feast represented the kingdom of God. Go out into the streets and invite or call people to come into the kingdom. We're told in Acts chapter 11 that it was in Antioch where the first century disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. It's this idea of being called. Paul talks in his letters a lot about what Christians are called to, and we're going to look at one of them in a, in, a, in a minute. But the main idea behind this language is really the idea of identity. What is the identity of a Christian? What's the identity of a follower of Jesus that, again, this calling, this invitation is, is primarily not just for pastors and missionaries. I don't want to take anything away from that specific kind of call. But pastor or not, we are called to so much more than just those things. So that's where this series is coming from. I'm going to introduce you to some things depending on your, your background. I'm going to reintroduce some of you. Um, to other things you've heard before, um, are, are, but it all is wrapped around our identity as followers of Jesus individually and as followers of Jesus as a corporate body. What it looks like for, for not just you, but y'all. What, what does it look like for us to be called? So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a modern day disciple, the things that we're going to cover over these four weeks are things that you've been called to. This is, this is, like, this is a part of your identity, who you are in Christ and who we are in Christ as a church. I'm going to start with this verse. It's kind of the foundation for what we're going throughout the series. In context, um, it actually is talking about suffering, but there's a wider application that we're going to make with this. So 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 21, you can find that if you want, but we're going to throw it up on the screen real quick. We'll, we'll go through this. Here's what, here's what he says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. There's our word to this, you were kaleo. 
You're called, you're invited, you're summoned, that, that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, he's, he's the leader. He's the forgiver of your life. And you've been called to follow his example, to follow in his footsteps. He's the model, he's the standard. If you want to know what living out your faith looks like, I'm not the one to look to. He's the one to look to. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. And again, the next four weeks is just an opportunity for us to lay this idea of being called over our current context and culture and hopefully walk away with a little bit of a better handle of what's my identity in Christ? What does it look like for me to follow Jesus today? in Topeka, Kansas, 2022. So we're going to start off with what I believe to be the pinnacle of our calling as individual followers of Jesus and as as a church. We could do a lot of things right individually. We could do a lot of things right corporately. But if we miss this, we miss the whole enchilada. We miss the whole thing. If we ignore this, we take a huge portion of what Jesus taught and what Jesus modeled, of what Paul talks about, of what Paul modeled, and we throw it out the window. So we don't really get to decide, is this important or is this not important? Jesus already made it important. It's just a matter of what do we do about it. This is one of the things we've been called to. So if you have a Bible or mobile device, I'd love for you to find a very familiar passage of Scripture to many of you. Um, You've heard us talk about it before. You've been around Grace Point at any point in time. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. This is the the known as the uh, the Great Commission. These are Jesus' last words uh, to his closest friends. Let me give you a context, and then we'll jump into this. So... Um, Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. He's seen by hundreds of people. And weeks after all of that, weeks after the resurrection, he gathers his disciples together. And I don't want you to miss this part. He gathers them together and he says, guys and gals, all authority everywhere has been given to me. Doesn't that make you want to lean in? Like you have all authority everywhere? What is he going to say next? And we know what he says next. But all authority everywhere has been given to me. So this is what I want you to do based on the authority that's been given to me. And he says this, therefore, go. Good, um, a good translation of that is as you go. As you go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is someone who leverages their gifts and abilities and relationships to help other people find and follow Jesus. It's a real basic definition for a disciple. Somebody who leverages everything that they've been given, everything that's happened in their life, to help other people find and follow Jesus. And he says to all nations, all nations here, he's talking about people groups talking about languages, ethnicity. So here's, here's what Jesus is saying. I, I want you guys, I, I want you to leave here. Don't stay in nice, comfortable Jerusalem where everybody looks like you and talks like you and thinks like you and votes like you and spends their money like you and does the same thing as you every single day. I want you to go and leverage what you have in your hands. Leverage what God has given you to help other people other ethnicities, other language groups, people who aren't like you, do whatever it takes to make sure they know who I am and have the opportunity to trust and follow me like you trust and follow me. I want you to go and make disciples. It's it's interesting to me 
in light of the last 2,000 years of church history, and I'm not going to cover it all today. Everybody take a breath, okay? But in light of the last 2,000 years of church history, Jesus didn't tell them to go get people to pray a prayer. He, he didn't tell them to huddle up and hunker down until he comes to take them to heaven. Just, just hang on, guys. He doesn't even tell them to start an organization. He did tell them to build a church. He says, guys and gals, I want you to go make disciples. And, 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 he, and he didn't simply want them to follow him. He didn't simply want them to be disciples. He wanted them to leverage their influence so other people would follow him. Jesus said in, in Matthew 16, I'm going to build my church. You make disciples. Don't get the two mixed up. Don't try to build your church. I'm going to build my church. You make disciples. That call, that invitation, that summons didn't die with the original disciples. If it did, we wouldn't be here. They told the next generation, and that generation told the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, and, and here we are today, 2,000 years, halfway around the world, still following Jesus. And I, I think it's just so important. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Jesus wasn't looking into the eyes of pastors and missionaries that day. He wasn't looking into the eyes of people who had gone through training to know how to make disciples. He looked in the eyes of fishermen and parents and former tax collectors and former prostitutes. He, he looked into the eyes of individual, normal, everyday Joe kind of people. What does the book of Acts says? Ordinary, unschooled men. But they'd been with Jesus. He looked into the eyes of individuals that day and he told them, I want you to go make disciples of all nations. He didn't stop there. Baptizing them, that means identifying them publicly with who? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation. And, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That, that after they've publicly identified themselves with me, they aren't done. You aren't done. That's not, that's not the finish line. That's actually a starting block because there's more to learn. There's more they need to know. There's more they need to do. So I want you to take all the stuff that I've taught you and teach them in such a way that they not only know it and believe it in their head, but it actually impacts the way they live. That, that they, they love and they serve and they care and they're generous to take care of orphans and widows. They forgive. They love their enemies the way I've loved my enemies, that, that I want you to teach them all that stuff. So much so that they start to do it. And then here's, here's the final promise. And surely I am with you. Here's a question you've never asked. Who is you? Who is you? You is anyone who does what Jesus is asking his disciples to do here. You is anyone who goes and makes disciples. He says, surely I am with you. It's not you individually, it's y'all Surely I'm with y'all always to the very end of the age. That when you do this, when you go out and you make disciples of all nations, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there with you all the time to the very end of the age. And, and I just don't want us to forget this. They did that. 
<laughs> and then the next generation did that. And then the next generation did that, and on and on and on and on. And now it's our turn. And it's not just us that's doing this. There's churches all over Topeka, all over Kansas, all over the United States, all over the world that are doing this. So I'm going to break it down, simplest way possible, simplest level. This is what I came to say today. Followers of Jesus are called to make disciples. That's it. It's like, it's so simple. It's so foundational. But, but followers of Jesus, I know it's redundant. Followers of Jesus are called to make followers of Jesus. Disciples are called to make disciples. Yeah, that's it. Not professional followers of Jesus. Not licensed or commissioned or ordained followers of Jesus. They're included in that, but it's not just up to them. All followers of Jesus are called to make disciples. This is our mission. This is our calling. This is our identity. This is what you signed up, whether you, believe, whether you knew it or not. This is actually what you signed up to do when you decided to follow Jesus. It's the call on your life. Disciples make disciples. Now, I understand that it is a whole lot easier for me to sit up here and say this than for you to walk out those doors and do. Like, I get it. Jesus gives these overarching statements, right? Uh, a few weeks later, he fills them with his spirit at Pentecost. Today is actually Pentecost Sunday. It's the celebration of the birth of the church. So the spirit descended on his people. And then it's like he left it up to them for how they're going to accomplish that. And we have the book of Acts. We have the rest of the New Testament. Like we have church history. We have examples. So many more tools to figure out how to make the disciples than the original disciples did. But, but the how might be in question. The what is very clear. Like it's clear as day. Go and make disciples. And here I, I say that to say this. Jesus never said this is going to be easy. He, he never said that people aren't going to reject you. They're just going to accept it. And it's, it's, it's just going to be a walk in the park. No, he actually said people are going to reject you because of me. The, the, the disciples, original disciples were killed. They were martyred for trying to make more disciples. And so when it comes to following our call to make disciples, yes, it's difficult. Yes, it costs us. Yes, it will interfere with your life plans. I didn't want to be a pastor, people. Yes, it will do all of those things. But this calling impacts eternity. It's, it's worth every penny we spend. It's worth every prayer we pray, every conversation we engage in, every challenge we overcome, every, every ounce of sweat. Like this calling is worth it, all of it, in light of eternity. And our tendency, I'm just going to push on you a little bit here. Our tendency is, is too often to talk about how hard it is or how much we struggle with it or, you know, Tim, I just don't have that gift or how terrible the world we live in is and, oh, the government and, oh, our culture and my neighbor. We spend so much time focusing and fretting about all of these things and so little time actually making disciples. And, and, and what if, just just... Example, what if we took a portion of the time and energy we spend focused and fretting about all of those other things and instead 
invested it in making disciples? What if we just adjusted our focus? Like, what if, what if you took a portion of your week, like every week, and just said, Jesus, you told me to go make disciples, so I'm going to give X amount of time every week to do that. Whatever you do in that time, spending time in prayer for people who don't know Jesus yet, spending time in strategic conversations with people who don't know Jesus yet, whatever it is, that that amount of time was spent in living out our calling to do what Jesus did in Matthew 28, what might happen in our generation? If the church did that, you know what I think would happen? All of those things we spend time focusing and fretting on might actually start to reverse. They, they might actually start to get better. I don't know that, but maybe. We actually have a plan for this as a church. We have a plan for this. We, we can't control, we can't decide what other churches are going to do, but we do have control over what we're going to do. And one of the reasons I'm talking about this today is to evaluate how we're doing. It's just to bring it to the forefront again, remind ourselves, this is what God has put us in this place, in this time in history, and if we're not accomplishing this as individuals or as a church, we need to reevaluate whether or not we've taken Jesus' words seriously or not. So our mission, our mission statement directly related to what Jesus told those original disciples in Matthew 28. We say it every single week. Some of you are sick and tired of us saying every single week we ain't stopping anytime soon because we need to be reminded. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ by creating environments where life change can happen. That means as individuals and as a group, it's the you and y'all part of this, that we make it our mission. We accept the call of our life, the most important thing we do to lead people, to influence people, to show people that don't know Jesus what it looks like to trust him and follow him. That's the what of our mission. That's what we believe we've been called to do as a church. What about the how? What about the how, right? It's always about the how. The best way that we thought of how to do that is to create relational environments, okay? And sometimes actual physical environments where people were attracted to and stuck to each other, but ultimately that they were attracted to and stuck to Jesus, because that's the context in which, in which life change takes place. Okay, I want, you, I want you to think about this. Don't answer out loud. But how many sermons do you actually remember from your past? A few, maybe? Don't answer out loud. It will crush me, okay? Just, just think it, right? How many books have you read that you remember that were just life-changing? It's a little bit more difficult. How, you know, how many classes did you take in college that were just life-changing? How many people can you think of right now that helped you change your life. Isn't it always people that rise to the surface? It's relational environments in which life change takes place. And it's usually around people who are ordinary, unschooled men and women who have been with Jesus. Because we want people to be attracted to and stuck to each other, but we want people more than that to be attracted to and stuck to Jesus, because he's the one that changes. It's his spirit that works amongst us individually and corporately to bring about life change. That's why we do what we do as a church, to create as many connection points as possible, 
for people to be around other people that have been around Jesus and then watch how he transforms them. And let me just play Captain Obvious for a second, okay? The way we fulfill the Great Commission will not be the same way that other churches fulfill the Great Commission, right? The how is different. Some of you, uh, you, you've come from other churches to Grace Point, or maybe you've gone to other churches and you show up, you go, why don't they do this? And why don't they do that? And what about this? And what about that? My old church, like we have conversations like that all the time. But the answers to those questions are found in the how of accomplishing our mission. It's different for every church. Do you know, we're not even doing the how the same way that we did five years ago as a church or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. The how has even changed here. The what doesn't change. The mission doesn't move. The how is fluid. The method changes and morphs and adapts depending on the time and place in history. Another way to say this, those of you who are business owners, this is, your, this is right where you're at. We marry the mission, but we date the methods. You marry the mission, but you date the methods. Methods come and go. Mission remains the same. And I don't have time to tease this out. But churches that start the long, slow process of dying get this mixed up. They marry the method. They put the method above the mission. It's always the end. It's the beginning of the end when you get that mixed up. It's one of the reasons I think, and this is just my opinion, It's one of the reasons I think Jesus didn't give us a how in Matthew 28. He didn't give us the how. He just said what? He told his disciples at that point in history, go make disciples. How are we supposed to do that? I'm going to send my spirit. It's going to be awesome. But he'll show you. He'll lead you. The how depends on when and where you find yourself in history but as long as you're focused on making disciples, I'm not as concerned about how you do it. Just do it. Just do it. So I want to spend the rest of our time talking about a few methods that we believe help us accomplish the mission. Some of them are small. Some of them are insignificant. Some of them hold a little bit more weight. But from my perspective, they kind of all um, help us accomplish um, our mission. The first one has to do with us as individuals, our individual calling to make disciples. And here's kind of where the angle I'm coming from this. I have, um, I was born and raised in the church. I heard messages on Matthew 28 so many times. Like I've heard every message from so many people um, that, that I, it's just over and over and over. But the one thing I remember regularly thinking, when I heard someone preach about Matthew 28, I always walked away going, okay, I'm in. Like, I believe that's what I'm supposed to do. I believe that's what we're supposed to be at. It's what we're called to. But how do I do it? How am I supposed to do it? There was always that question in the back of my mind. Again, it was never a question, a matter of questioning what I was called to do. It was always a matter of how. Like, what's the method for that? So a few years ago, we started down this path of figuring out Is there a simple, repeatable method for making disciples that we could teach our people to do? Okay? It's not, it's no, there's no silver bullets. Okay? This is not the only way. It's a way. Okay? I love a quote by D.L. Moody. 
D.L. Moody had, had somebody kind of push back and criticize his methods for making disciples and evangelism. And D.L. Moody looked at this guy and he said, I agree with you. My methods for discipleship and evangelism are not the greatest. I agree with some of your conclusions. And then he said, but I like the way I'm making disciples better than the way you're not. Is this the only way to make disciples? Absolutely not. It's a way. But I like the way we're trying to make disciples. I like the way we're trying to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus better than some aren't. And the way that we do that is through D groups, short for discipleship groups. So it's a small group of three to five women or three to five men who gather weekly for interactive Bible study, accountability, and prayer. So it's a simple, it's repeatable. We've seen dozens of people go through this training. And we have another round of training coming up, beginning June 13th for four Monday nights from 6.30 to 8.30. We're going to focus on answering the how of disciple making. This is an opportunity for those of you who would say, I want to do what Jesus calls me to do in Matthew 28. I understand the call, but how do I do that? I'm not sure how to do that. And even if you show up and do nothing with it, even if you show up and go to one or two and, and you adapt or you adopt certain things that we do, at least you'll have a plan and at least you'll know our plan or one of the, the, one of the, 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 the places in our plan for making disciples. I would love, we've had dozens of people go through this. I would love for dozens more of you to go through it. Even if you don't do anything with it, at least you'll be able to walk away and say, okay, I have a plan now. If you already have a plan, Keep working the plan. Keep doing your thing. But this helps us answer the question, how do we do that? You can sign up for Banding Together training on our website. You can also sign up through the Church Center app if you have that. If you don't have it, you can download it right now. You can show up for that, all right? Because we want to give you a simple, repeatable method for how to make disciples, all right? This brings me to the second thing we're looking at to help us accomplish the mission. This is what... Um, for some of you, this might be new information because you're new to Grace Point over the last year or two. Others of you, this is just a reminder. But um, before COVID hit, we had three weekend services, one Saturday night and two on Sunday morning. Before COVID hit, we were around 670 average attendants um, throughout those three services on the weekend. Um, when COVID hit, we went from one week of about 670 average on-site attendance to zero on-site attendance for about four months. And when we came back to our on-site services, we didn't have the attendance, we didn't have the volunteer capacity to bring back all three of those services, so we only had our two uh, Sunday morning services, and that's how it's been um, since that point. But over the last um, year, last 14, 15 months, um, we're getting to the point where we need to add a third service again. And this is a conversation that our staff and our board has wrestled with for months. And I know to some of you that sounds crazy. Why in the world would you wrestle with that for months? <laughs> that seems like a pretty simple decision. And there are multiple layers to this, multiple reasons for it. I just tell you this because I want you to know how serious we took the decision it wasn't just a staff meeting where we decided to do this. This decision impacts our staff. It impacts our volunteers. It impacts the health and well-being of our staff families. 
It impacts the sustainability and longevity of our volunteers. And all of that ultimately impacts our mission as a church, okay? So in one sense, I want you to feel the weight of it. In the same sense, I want you to hear we're not married to service times around here, okay? I know some of you think service time should be 9 and 11 till Jesus comes back. <laughs> I, I know some of you feel that way. But we're not married to service times. That's a method, not the mission. But it does impact the people of our church, the staff, volunteers, and the people we're trying to reach. So we took our time in making this decision. So this fall, we haven't decided on the specific date yet, but sometime this fall, we will be adding a third service on Sunday morning, okay? We haven't set the times for those three services yet, but in order for us to make room, because we want to make room for the people who are already showing up and the people that we're trying to reach, that's, that's one of our next steps as a church. Now, I realize, we realize, that's disappointing for some of you that would like for the Saturday night service to come back. And in first service, I had a lady go, yep, absolutely, and I get it, I get it. I know that it's disappointing. We understand that, I understand the disappointment in that. It's honestly one of the reasons it took so long for us slash me to make this decision. But at the same time, COVID actually helped us realize some things when it came to our staff, when it came to volunteers, uh, issues of sustainability, issues of longevity that we probably wouldn't have learned without. And I'm not saying I was glad for COVID. I'm not implying that whatsoever. But it did help us take a step back and evaluate some of these things. We're not saying we're never going to do a Saturday night service ever again. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying at this point in the history of our church, we're going to attempt three services on Sunday morning. It may crash and burn, and I'll get back up here, and I'll say, hey, we gave the good old college try. Let's figure something else out. But that's one of the things we believe we need to do in the next season of our church to continue to make disciples, all right? And then the last thing. Last thing I want to talk about has to do with the future stuff. And again, some of this is just re review for, uh, for some of you. Some of this is new information for some of you. But uh, 16, 17, 18, I didn't do the exact math. Um, about 16, 17 years ago, um, our church purchased 40 acres of land at the corner of Huntoon. And yours is a big story behind that. I don't have time to get into it. Uh, but the church started making plans to build a new facility on that property. Uh, we went through a capital campaign. We raised some money. Um, changes in leadership happened. Those plans were kind of put on hold. That's kind of where I came in as lead pastor um, on the scene. We used some of those funds that was raised in that campaign to remodel our current facility. When I'm talking about being at the Ramada, that's when that happened. We used some of those funds to, to, to start the North Campus um, in North Topeka, we saw lots of momentum, lots of growth happen during that season. And then in 2016, we felt like we were supposed to revamp those plans to build at the corner of Huntoon and Yurish on our property, entered into another capital campaign, raised some more money. Um, that campaign ended, if you remember, October of 2019. And everybody knows what happened in the spring of 2020, right? So for the past couple years, we've just kind of been in limbo with all those plans. It's like the, the wheel of death on your computer, right? It's just continually spinning. 
Because, because COVID affected a lot of things. What, what does post-COVID world mean for churches? What is, it, what is the post-COVID world look like for, to build buildings? Like, are, are people going to be okay with gathering indoors again? Are people going to come back? You guys have answered that question for our church. Um, you know, what about the cost of building these days compared to what it was three or four years ago? Just so many questions, so many issues we've talked about, we've prayed through as, as a board and a staff. Uh, we even had um, an outside consultant group come in to give us a perspective from, from outside of our church, from outside of our community, and, and gave us some, some perspective on these things. All that to say this, what are our plans when it comes to relocation or building on our property in the future? And the short answer is, I have no idea. I have no idea. I would love to be sitting here right now saying, this is, this is the hill we're taking. This is what we're doing. This is when we're going to do it. But the reality is we just don't know right now. There's some unknowns that we're trying to discern, trying to, to, to pray through to figure out what our next step is for church. We still believe that relocation is in our future. We're not sure how. We're not sure when that's going to happen. Some of you have heard me say this before, but um, we actually put that property at Huntoon and Yurish on the market to see if we might be able to sell that and use those resources to, to, to retrofit a building that's already somewhere else here in town. Haven't had really any offers for that property. And then at the same time that we were doing that, we were looking at pretty much every building in Topeka that had enough square footage to, to house um, that, that new church. We talked to the mall. We talked to the North Kmart. It feels like we've looked at every possible situation that has enough square footage for us to consider, and it just, it's, it's just not worked. We've considered planting a church or starting another campus that hasn't really felt like the best option or the timing for us either, at least not right now. Adding a third service is a short-term solution. Like I don't think that continuing to add more and more service is the best long-term solution, but it does provide us the ability to make room where we are right now. But we're, we're just not sure what we're going to do in the distant future. I don't want this to come across as discouragement or despair. That's not how I feel. I don't think that's how the board feels. I may get some emails from our board members this afternoon. I don't know. But as we've thought through this, as we've talked through this, um, we don't feel discouraged. We don't feel despair. It's just a season of discerning for us what God has next. And we do believe, and I do believe the board believes this. I do believe our leadership team believes that God is going to provide He's going to show us what he has for us. But right now, it's a season of waiting. It's actively waiting. Like in our board meetings, we're not just sitting around on our hands staring at each other blankly. We, there, there is things that we're trying to do. There are things that we're looking at and we're continuing to process and pray through. And, and I know you already know this, but I just want to say it so it's online forever. We don't need a new building to make disciples We don't need to add more and more services to make disciples. We can do that. Those are tools. Those are methods. But you and I, like we can, we can make disciples without all that stuff. And that's really the question I want to leave you with. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you want to do this? Like, Do, do you want to do, do you want to take part in, in the call that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28? If, if you're a part of this church, do you want to be involved? 
in helping us accomplish the mission we believe we've been put here for? We're going to talk about some more of those things over the next few weeks in this series. But, but I, just, I just want, I, I hope it bothers you. Do you want to do this? Do you want to focus on this? Even if it's a, it's a portion of your week, do you, do you want to do what Jesus asked us to do? And if you do, come on, let's go. If you don't know how, sign up for Banding Together training. I'd love for you to go through that. I think it'd be so beneficial and helpful for you to go through that. If you already have your process, if you already have your method, go for it. Keep doing it. But as a church, we want you, teenager, 20-something, 30-something, 70, 80, 90-something, we want you to be involved. I want you to be involved in making disciples. Let's be about what Jesus wanted us to be about. Let's follow in his footsteps. Let's follow in the footsteps of the generations that have gone before us. And let's see what Jesus does in our generation through our our obedience and our willingness to involve ourselves in his mission. Let's make disciples. Yeah, right? (laughs) Okay, let me pray for us and then we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, this is, it's, it's exciting, it's encouraging, it's terrifying, it's, um, it's all of those things wrapped into one. And God, there's, there's so many people that I can look out on this audience and I can see faces and I know stories. I, I know barriers, I know hang-ups, I know hurts, I know habits that have that have brought them to this moment, that they've helped other people get through some of those things. God, I know um, there's, there's uncertainty. I know there's fear. I know there's all kinds of things that, that, that just bark for our attention. And I'm just as guilty as taking my eyes off of the mission, the calling that you've placed on my life. So would you help us you help me? As individuals, as a church, would you help us to go back to the basics? Would you help us to go back and to remember what we've been called to, what you've equipped us to do, what you've sent your spirit in order for us to accomplish? And then in the end, um, God, we're not trying to do this to build our church. We're not here to try and create a bigger voting block for some political party. We're not here to, to, to do this or that or to get people to believe what we believe so we can pat ourselves on the back. We're, we're ultimately here to be about your kingdom and building your kingdom one person at a time, one family at a time, one block at a time, one neighborhood at a time. So God, would you help us to know? I know, I know your spirit is alive and well today. And I know that you can guide, that you can direct, that you can empower and equip us to do what you call us to do. So would, we list, would you help us to listen? Would you help us to obey? And would you help us to follow? And I ask all of this. And the one who called us to it, ask it all in the name of Jesus. It's in his name I ask these things and I pray and we pray.